All right. Okay. This is, Matt's going to read the scripture, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Actually, sorry, Matt. Let me give one announcement first. Go ahead. Okay. We don't have the, the scripture read. I usually read it during the sermon, so sorry if I'm, I'm messing up the order here a little bit. just want to do something a little different. Hey, one last announcement is that we're starting up our Antioch Discipleship School this fall, and we would love for you to do it. Okay, my wife and I are going to be leading it, and, and I just want to promote this to say that uh, this, is a, this is the goal of this, of this discipleship school is for it to be a life-transforming experience. Yes, you will learn more about the Bible. Yes, you will hear cool teachings. Yes, you will interact with different speakers from around the country and potentially the world. But the goal of this is to get in a community of people that are saying, we want to seek Jesus together, and we want to accelerate transformation in our lives. That's the goal of this school. It worked for me. It can work for you. Work's not really the right word, okay? But you understand the point. We're starting this fall. Application deadline is June 1st. You can see all the details on our website. But I would just say, hey, would you consider this with the Holy Spirit? Ask him if this is is the right season for you to go through this intensive program that involves a two-week missions trip overseas uh, at the end of it for next summer. We would really love for you to be a part of this and it's a great way just to really get connected in the church as well. So just want to offer that to you. And so Matt, would you please uh, read the scripture? So would you just open your hearts? I'm going to read through parts of this as we go through it. So I would just encourage you as Matt reads this, would you just listen, even if it helps to close your eyes? Uh, let's just hear the reading of the word. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come and teach us. You're our teacher. And we pray that uh, the presence of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you make that real to us in this moment? in this space uh, as we look into your word. Thank you for every wonderful thing that you're going to do, even during and after the sermon. Thank you, Jesus. I heard a cool story this week on Instagram. Uh, A guy named Jimmy Seibert, who heads up one of our churches in a denomination called Antioch, and uh, he told a story. He was in San Diego with the Jesus Film people. You guys heard of the Jesus Film? They, there's this old movie, I don't know when the first one was, was released, but um, it's basically like a way to share the story of the Gospels with people maybe they can't read 
or they don't have a Bible in their translation, so they take it to very remote parts of the world. And this is a recent story that, that, that they were telling just this last week as, as Jimmy was there. He said that in this, in this remote village, un, undisclosed location because of security reasons, um, so I'm guessing, hey, maybe Indonesia, who knows? That's eh, my guess. You can take a guess. Uh, there was no, no, no knowledge of Jesus, Christianity, Bible, nothing. And the village started to see this man walking on these high hills kind of outside the village, these mountains, these hills. They saw this man. And just every once in a while over the course of about two years, they would see this man walking. And they started in the village just talking about, you know, who, who is this man? What is he? And they decided he, was, he must be some kind of holy man wandering these hills. And every once in a while they would, they would see him. And so this went on, as I said, for a couple of years, and uh, eventually some, some missionaries came to their town, this village, and they had the Jesus film in the language, translated into the language of these people. And, they, and they, they show the film to these people, and immediately the people start calling out, there's the man, that's the man, that's the man. It was the 1979 version of the Jesus film, by the way. It was Jesus. They recognized Jesus from the Jesus film. Isn't that amazing? Obviously, it was not Jesus in the Jesus film, but Jesus was somehow taking the appearance of what they were going to see in this movie and walking these hills to prepare their hearts to receive the gospel. And of course, the village is just, you know, massive multiplication of believers. Now, you hear a story like this, and the story that Kylie told, just as a recent story from our own team um, in India. And it's kind of nice to hear some of those, you know, maybe I grew up in a church, we would have a missions weekend every year, and these missionaries would come in with their flannel graph and tell these stories, and you'd hear all these cool things about God, you know, helping some airplane land in a small field, or, you know, some miracle happen, and you go, wow, you know. The question that I want to pose to you today is, what can we expect from God? In this day-to-day, work-a-day, raising kids, taking tests, doing chores, fixing broken stuff in your house, what can we expect from God? Now, we're in a series that's called Reimagining Glory. Subtitle, What's So Great About God? Where we are exploring the unbelievable goodness of God. You see, glory is not, the glory of God is not confined to just, wow, God's so powerful, he created everything, and he can shoot lightning bolts out of his nose. Sorry about that. Right? The greatness, the wonder, the glory of God is how unbelievably good he is. How incredibly kind and compassionate, how patient, slow to anger. That is the glory of God. That's what makes God so glorious is he's because the most delightful person you could ever imagine being around. And we're, we're, we're talking about this because God has given us a word of the Lord for this year, for this 2019 year, and that is this. We are learning as a people to rejoice in the Lord always. We're finding God better than we've ever found him before. 
gooder than we ever thought that he was. If we can do that, God is moving us to a new place of vision in 2020. So we're pursuing this until I really sense that God tells us, okay, we've gotten there in 2019. So again, we're hitting this from a lot of different angles. And really, this series, I feel, is, is the heart of the whole matter. Right? We talked about complaining in our last series. We talked about kind of just the, the big idea of rejoicing in Philippians in our first series. But if we can get this, guys, if we can narrow down in believing in the goodness of God, we will have rejoicing for the rest of our days. Amen? Oh, man, and God has such a good word for you this morning from this passage that Matt just read. This is just in the beginning of the book of John. We, we, we talked two weeks ago uh, about first, you know, the first chapter in John, and John starting his book off with some pretty big words, in the beginning. Right? For a Hebrew to be writing that, that's a, pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. And so we're jumping in, and this is really one of the first stories that, that comes on the scene, as even the passage said, this wedding story. Now, weddings back then, it was, it was a little bit of a bigger deal than, than we experience in America. Okay? Multi-day affair or really, one really long day. Just, there was a lot. It was a, it was a, they knew how to party. Let's just put it that way. Okay? I had the, the privilege of marrying uh, Patrick and Allison, who I think I saw here today, just a few months ago. And um, Allison's mother is French, and so I just was chatting her up at the wedding, or maybe she was chatting me up, I don't know. I was like, so just, you know, you meet someone from another country, I just always want to learn all about. And so she was telling me about what weddings, what her wedding was like in France when her and her and Allison's dad got married. And she said, oh, it's nothing like the weddings here. I mean, you start like early in the day, and it goes all day. You know, so like she's talking about, you know, and they have all these different things. They're doing skits and, you know, all, of course, different, you know, series of foods coming out and just silly games that they're playing. And then, of course, the dancing and everything. And, you know, it's like you're going till four or five o'clock in the morning, like easy, no problem. Like that's like standard. Is this, is this true? She's verifying. Okay. She's French. She can speak French. She's, it's true. Okay. This is the kind of wedding deal that we're talking about. It's not kind of our, okay, you have the rehearsal hall from 5 to 10 p.m., you know, and you got to be out of there. Get out of there, okay? It's not rehearsal, uh, reception, okay? So this, this, is, this is a big deal, okay? So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 2 if you want to follow along. It'll probably be on the screen as you're, as you're looking along too, or you can, you can Google it in your phone. It'll come right up, okay? And again, the question that we're asking as we're looking at this passage today is what can we expect from God? Verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. It's kind of funny. It makes it sound like Jesus and his disciples are kind of like a B-list invite, right? I know that's like the wedding. I met my wife at a wedding in Gloucester. She was one of the bridesmaids in this wedding. Uh, it was one of her, her roommates and friends at Biola College. My wife was living in California at the time. I was living with um, this guy named Sean, who was the groom. We'd only been living together for six months, and we met like when I moved into the apartment. So I got the token, you know, kind of, we live together. I guess I have to invite you to my wedding. Invite. And man, it changed my life, right? Okay. So good things can happen when you invite that person on the B list to your wedding, all right? You're going to see that again here. All right, verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. 
Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, you know, I've heard things about just, you know, in that day, this would have been a big embarrassment for the family. You can probably imagine that, right? Here you are, the groom or the bride at this wedding, and, you know, there's nothing else to drink. I told you that story, I won't tell you again, about the really hot wedding I went to like a decade ago, you know, under a tent on the North Shore, summer, just sweltering hot, and like the catering company ran out of beverages. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was hard. We had lobsters all sticky. I mean, there's like nothing to drink. It's like you're sweating. Let's dance, you know. It's like, I don't know. Okay, sorry. But you can just imagine what, what this, what, what kind of chaos this is creating in this circumstance, right? The bride, maybe here she starts to cry, you know. My day is being ruined. You know, the family's feeling embarrassed. Like we didn't plan well enough. There's all of this stuff going on. You've, you've got to tap into that a little bit emotionally to, to understand what's going on here, right? So what a funny interchange between Mary and Jesus. I don't have a lot of answers for you here. First of all, why is Mary involved, right? I mean, okay, so she was an A-list invite. Maybe she's a friend of the family. Somehow she, she finds out first or at some, some point she finds out you know, and she's going to go fix the problem. Maybe she's just a mother. Mothers just do that. They're solving problems all over the place, okay? And why is she involving Jesus? You already heard the passage read, right? This is so interesting. This was the first of the signs that he did. So according to John, there's, there was no miracles before this. Now, he says, uses the word signs, so maybe Jesus had done some other things that were in private or no one had seen. You know, it's not entirely clear most people that are writing about this would say this is the first miracle that Jesus did. I don't know if that's 100% guaranteed. But assuming that it is, what does Mary think that Jesus is going to do? She's never seen him do a miracle. So why is she coming over to Jesus? I mean, be listened by Jesus. Is it just, Jesus, you need to do something about this, you know? Yeah. What does she expect from Jesus in this moment. Well, I just want to say, this is, this is my theory, I think Mary is the first believer of the world. I think Mary is the first one who could be called Christian. You remember those stories from Christmas, right? All those crazy things. She's the first person that has the gospel preached to her from an angel who shares with her, you're going to give birth to a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. Right? And it says after all these crazy things happen, these shepherds see this angelic visitation, this vision of these angels. They come running. They find Jesus. And they're going, ah, oh, we saw this little baby. Ball. You know? And then these wise men come from land afar, you know, bearing these gifts. They travel to far. I don't know. There's a song about that. Right? And it says, Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. You have, to, you have to be with me here. I think Mary is the first one to put her faith in Jesus. Why else is she involving him in this? Never seen him do a miracle. There's no indication, right? She pondered these things in her heart, and she, she took them into her heart. Now, I know there's a passages about, you know, 
Jesus is with his disciples and his mother and brothers show up. And they're saying, you know, we want to see Jesus. And he says, oh, you know, my mother and brothers are those that, you know, do my will, blah, blah, blah. Okay, every, you know, every mother has things that she wants to see for her kids. She's prodding Jesus. You're the firstborn. Where are the grandkids coming? You're going to get married soon. I want grandkids, you know. You can imagine some of that was happening with Jesus, okay? So don't, don't get all hating on Mary just because in one instance in the Bible, Jesus is kind of like, hey, you guys need to wait, okay? Are you guys alive out there? I think this is good stuff. Okay. Come on, you're getting in the story with me. Get into this. It's a real family. Mary wanted grandchildren. You can't blame her for that. I'm sure she did, okay? She had, but she had higher expectations from Jesus than she had for him. Are you hearing what I'm saying there? Of course she had things as a parent that she wanted for Jesus. She wanted him this, she wanted him to have that and this good thing and get married and have kids. But her higher expectation was was receiving from Jesus because in her heart, at some point along this journey of raising this little boy, I think she started to believe that this guy is really the son of God. And so when there's a problem, just a mundane, everyday kind of problem, not a catastrophe, no one's dying here, she just presents it to Jesus. Jesus, they got no more wine. And it's almost as if she just kind of stands back, like she knows something in her heart. And she's like, I'm not getting it, don't get me involved in this. And if you look at the footnote in your Bible, mine says, footnote F, the Greek for woman does not denote any disrespect. As if we had to ask that question about Jesus. Of course, he's not dissing his mom, right? He's just saying, Mom, you know, come on. Why are you, why are you involving me in this here? It's not my time. And she just kind of steps back. You can almost see a little grin on her face and say, Hey, just do whatever he tells you. I'm leaving. Jesus, you need to deal with this. She knows something is going to happen. Are you, are you feeling the faith here for this? It's because she believed in the person of Jesus. Her expectation from him was much greater than as a parent it was for him. So Jesus, let's talk about him for a second. He's reluctant to get involved because somehow he knows it's not the right time for him to start, you know, blasting miracles all over the place. Okay? And yet, he does it anyways. It sounds like at this point, the Holy Spirit has told him it's not time yet. At some point, the Holy Spirit has revealed to him, hey, you're Jesus. He's like, I know that, that's my name. No, like, you're the son of God, right? At some point, that is revealed to him. He grows up in wisdom and stature. He wasn't born just knowing that he's the son of God. He can't even speak, right? He's babbling like a baby. Remember, Jesus left it all behind. He, he emptied himself. He was a real baby. He pooped, okay? He was weaned at some point. I mean, they, are all, they all experience this. We often think, Jesus, in the sky. He was a person also. We have to remember that. All right, I forgot where I was going. I was getting excited talking about baby Jesus, okay? <laughs> yeah, he does it anyways. He does it anyways, even though right now he has a word of the Lord that it's not the time. Something in Mary's faith, her confidence, that little wink she gives him and just kind of walks away, and the person of Jesus shifts something, and, and Jesus knows, okay, the Holy Spirit's letting me, he's, he's now urging me instead of holding me back. 
There's a shift even in the heart of God in this scenario. Oh, that's such a, that's such a mysterious yet amazing thing that has happened in this, in this life. And here's, here's something that I think is for us in this, in this moment with Mary and Jesus. If you want to learn how to pray, you have to learn how to play. The heart of prayer is a playful, childlike spirit with the Lord. Guys, if you can come to God as the dad that you get to play with, man, he wants to answer your prayer. Prayer is more about playfulness with God than it is about begging, pleading, doing all kinds of religious things to try to twist God's arm to do something good. He's good. He likes to do good things. When you pray his will, he wants to answer. Right? We need to develop what Jesus tells us is the childlike heart, and Mary is tapping into that right here with Jesus. There's play. All right. Verse 6. Nearby, it gets, it gets so good here. Nearby stood six stone water jars. Don't miss this. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Don't you love ceremonial washing? You know, every time you've got to go to eat, you've got a ceremonial wash because you might become unclean and you can't go to the temple the next day. You love doing that all the time, don't you? Oh man, it's such a delight to always be having to wash and do all these funny things just so that I can be acceptable to God. Mm. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's important too. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. Okay, that's the end of verse 8. They did so. First of all, God is a God of abundance. He doesn't give you just a little bit just to get by. That's not his heart. When he gives, it's really good. Think about how much wine this was. These were not, okay, the wine jars are empty so let's fill those up. Wouldn't that be the logical thing to do? No. Jesus is going, this is going to be awesome. Right? The Holy Spirit's like speaking to him. The, wine, the, the, the jars, the jars over there. Do the jars because there's a picture in this too. There's something that John, right? John chose this story for a reason, guys. He says in his book, if all of the wonderful things that Jesus had done, all of the books in the world couldn't contain it. He has selected this story for a reason, along with the Holy Spirit nudging him, obviously, right? He's writing the Bible, okay? All right, get on with the point, Brian. This is 150 gallons of wine. 20 to 30 gallons, if you average that to 25, there's six of them, 150 gallons of wine. He didn't just fill up the empty containers of wine. He took these ceremonial washing ones that were just huge jugs full of water that people cleaned themselves in, and that's what he's using. So point number one, God is a God of abundant giving. When he gives, it's abundant. 
He wants abundance for you. I was meeting with a couple guys in a discipleship group last week, and um, we were meeting in Panera. And I, and I try not to spend a lot of money when I'm out. I do a lot of meetings in coffee shops, and so you can imagine that would add up really quick, okay? And so I've kind of just been like, I'm just not spending any money, you know, just gonna get the water, whatever. And so I was going to college life group after that, so I was like, I just was, was going to kind of miss dinner. No big deal, right? And I felt like the Lord just kind of challenged me in that moment. He said, Brian, buy a $1.67 bagel. You know, like, buy a bagel at Panera. And he's like, I have told you I am leading your family into abundance. Do you believe me? Go buy a bagel. <laughs> and so I went up to the counter. I was like, that's right. God is leading me to abundance. I can afford a $1.67 bagel. Come on. Okay, we're not, in, we're not impoverished. I'm just telling you, I, I'm, a, I'm a saver. I'm trying not to spend money all the time, okay? So I went up, and I was like, bagel, please. Asiago cheese, toasted, butter. Can't afford the cream cheese. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the cream cheese, right? Okay. So the lady's like, yeah, here's my, here's my Panera card. She scans it, and she says, oh, you have a free bagel. Would you like to use that? And I said, hallelujah. Yes, I would. <laughs> now, right? I just tell you, right? God is involved in that stuff. God is involved in that stuff. He cares about that. Wouldn't you, if you're a dad, wouldn't you care about your kids? You want them to have a bagel for dinner and not just starve to death, okay? He cares about that. He cares about this wedding. So Jesus gets involved because the heart of Mary is pulling him into it. Not that he didn't have a heart himself, but... but Ah, it's awesome. He's a God of abundance. He wants to lead us into abundance. Look at the Old Testament, right? Everyone wants to write it off and say, stop preaching health and wealth. I'm not preaching health and wealth. God wants us to lay down our lives for his kingdom. He wants us to live generously. But poverty is not the will of God. Is it? Can we say no? No, the whole Old Testament is saying, let's get these people out of poverty. Stop oppressing people. God wants people pulled out of poverty, not led into it. Obviously, there's an exception if you take the vow of poverty, St. Francis, you know, others. Hallelujah. That's their calling, okay? Poverty is not the will of God. Abundance is the will of God. More than enough to share with those around you. I'm going to eat a bagel. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Now, Jesus takes something. This is a sign. It says that it's a sign. So what is it a sign of? He takes something that is used for a religious practice where the Jews had to wash themselves. They had to stay clean. There's all these crazy rules that no one can even put them all together. It's so confusing in the Old Testament, right, about am I clean? Am I clean? Can I go into the temple? Do I have a lesion on my skin? Do I have, you know, this? Do I have a broken bone? You know, am I sick? Am I... My this? Is it my cycle? Is, you know, all these things that would keep someone out of the presence of God. And this one thing, right, of ceremonial washing. Jesus says, yeah, let's do this. What does he turn it into? He turns the water into wine. It goes from, here's some rules you've got to follow so God will accept you, at least for this one moment, but next week you might be dirty again. And he says, let's do away with that system, shall we? Let's come over here and let's have a party. That is the Christian life. The Christian life is a celebration, right? 
the wine, the joy, the Holy Spirit of God. All those symbolisms are in this wine. Jesus is saying, I am stepping into this world and I am bringing you from here over to here. Where you don't need to beg for things in my kingdom because you're not a beggar and you're not a servant, you're a son or a daughter. You get to ask and just receive. You're not having to work yourself up and get yourself really clean and do all these cleansings every week. You want to go to the temple? Now I'm just declaring you are clean. I'm going to wash you as white as snow. I'm going to forever put my name on your hands and your forehead so everyone will know that you are mine. Man, that is good. What a sign. And it's wine, right? Okay, don't get drunk. That's, the Bible says that. But wine, it's a symbol of joy, celebration. There's a reason they have that at weddings, okay? And if you do get drunk, don't guilt yourself about it, okay? Come on, right? I'm just saying there, there, there's a picture here of what God is leading us into. It's the joy of the Lord. That's what he's wanting to bring to your life. He came that you would have an abundance of joy, more than enough to share with others, right? Come on, this is the gospel. Let's just, let's just rehash it again, even though I'm supposed to be stopping three minutes ago. <clears throat> Guys, God became a man and entered the world of suffering and darkness in a dark place where he was a refugee. They tried to murder him. He lived his whole life being misunderstood even by his followers, and then wicked men put him to death. But God always has the last word, and every plan of the devil is a backfire. Amen? And God raised Jesus from the dead. And so now there is a person in the Trinity. For all eternity, we've got a man upstairs who's passed through this life, who's entered death, has defeated it along with sin, the devil, and every evil thing that would stand against the kingdom of God. And he's now exalted at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting there. The Lord said to my, right, my, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. General Jesus is up in heaven, invading earth with his kingdom in heaven, coming down to earth. And he's provided forgiveness of sins that all, to all who would look to him, he will forgive. To all who would believe in his name, right, he would make them righteous. He would call them children of God. That's the gospel. And the gospel is that God is love, that Jesus is Lord, and all who believe in him receive that forgiveness, and his spirit comes to dwell in them. Forever children of God. Loved, accepted. Mm. All in the symbol of this wine. One more thing. How hard is this? He doesn't even, there's no hocus pocus. He's like, let me make the sign of the cross. I'm going to lay my hands on this wine, on this water. Okay, walk around it seven times and then shout with trumpets. You know, like, he just says, okay, just take some of it, fill those up and take some of it and bring it to the guy, the, wed the wedding planner, essentially. It's just easy. Right? God has power. All right. I got ahead of myself, I think, which is good because we need to be done. The master of the banquet tasted the water and had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
They're giggling. <laughs> he <doesn't know. laughs> then he called the bridegroom aside. They think he's drinking this water that people are using to cleanse their bodies, right? This is gross, you know? When did it turn into wine? Was it the moment it hit his lips? Was it turning to wine as they brought it? We don't know. Maybe that's why they're giggling. Who knows? Okay, I just feel like they're giggling. Then he called the bridegroom aside. He calls the groom aside and he says, what are you doing? Everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. It's not just abundance in quantity, it's abundance in quality. Jesus doesn't make cheap junk. He doesn't make cheap wine. Everything that he makes is incredibly good. Now, you might believe that, but do you believe that about yourself? That God looks at you and says, I made you, and I love you, and man, you are so good. I think the church has done a disservice to, especially in Western culture. We've railed this deal about you're a sinner, and you can't stand before God, and da-da-da-da-da, which I don't even think is true, by the way. The devil's in heaven in the book of Job before God. He's the biggest sinner of them all. Right? He can stand there. Come on. God's bigger than that. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible doesn't call you a sinner. Do you know that? You're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint. And even if you're not a follower in Jesus, God loves you. And he says that you're good. He doesn't make cheap wine. He makes good wine. He made you and he's calling you good. He loves you. Mm. He only makes beautiful things. The best things. It had to be the best wine they'd ever tasted in their life because Jesus made it. And guys, Jesus cares about the ordinary. I know I already hit this. But the supernatural power is released to meet someone's need in their moment of crisis. He saves the family from embarrassment. The wife stops crying. She gets a little bit of that good wine, right? Okay? It's all good. Notice that Jesus doesn't mock the wedding planner or the bridegroom. You fools. You ran out of wedding? You ran out of wine at your own wedding? Bunch of dummies. Good luck. We're out of here. Let's split, disciples. Come on. We got some holy stuff to do. Okay? There is none of that because God is not an accuser. There is an accuser. His name is Satan. That's what his name means. God is not an accuser. Mm. Sorry, I don't, I've never done that before. But you need to know that that's true. God doesn't accuse you. He loves you. He's for you. He's only, he only sees the good things in your life. Obviously, he sees the bad things too, but he's working on those things. He sees Jesus in you. He sees the righteousness of God on your life. His glory, the, the beauty, he celebrates you. Every breath you've ever taken, he has been present and rejoiced in it. Man, he's so good. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The glory that is not just his power, but is his incredible, unbelievable goodness, kindness, and love. 
There's nothing more powerful than love. God is love. That is the essence of who he is. As John writes his letter and tells us that God is love. Our simple response today is to raise our expectation a little bit on what God wants to give us. You guys, who are evil, Jesus says, right? Which of you, fathers, mothers, your child asks you for bread, you you hand them a rock and snicker. Here you go, kid, eat that. Which of you, they ask you for a fish, sneak over and says, here's a fish, here's a fish, sonny. Open the lid and it's a poisonous snake. Jumping out. She's like, none of you do that. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things and the Holy Spirit to those that ask? We have to activate the favor, the love of God by believing in him. That is our work. Our work is not ceremonial washing. Our work is not clean myself up. Let's look good before God. Right? Our work is to believe in the one who God has sent. We believe in Jesus. That is your job. That's how Jesus defines it. The the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to believe in his incredible goodness towards you. That's our challenge today. Ben, come up. I want to tell you something. We can get to heaven together and find out if this is true, but I'm willing to wager a lot on it. There's some little old woman who was sitting in a room somewhere, opened up some missionary book and said, oh, here's a people group that have never heard about Jesus. I'm going to start praying for them. And for two years, she starts praying for them. And wouldn't you know, Jesus starts walking the hills. Walking the hills looking just like that actor in the Jesus film in 1979 because he knew that was the film they were going to show. Our faith activates heaven. Right? And it's time for us to be a people who rejoice always because we believe in the incredible goodness of God. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of all the bad things we've experienced in this earth, those things were not God. Let me tell you right now, the Holocaust, that was not God's heart. That was not the will of God. That was the will of evil and wicked men. God is incredibly good and everything that he does is good. Every intention of his heart is good. And our challenge today is to to take just a little bit of faith and ask God to meet us way more than halfway. You guys just going to start playing for just a, a moment. I just want you to close your eyes, or, I mean, you can keep them open. You don't have to do that. I'm not trying to get, like, all religious on you or something. I just want you, hey, if if you're not a follower of Jesus today, my challenge to you is, would you just challenge God to say, hey, these miracle stories are crazy. This whole Christian religion is crazy. It's based on a guy that everyone thinks he rose from the dead. All things crazy, right, if there's not miracles in this world. So maybe that's you. My only challenge to you is, hey, would you just ask, say, God, if you're real, I dare you to show up in my life in a way I cannot explain in any other way. And if you are a believer, I just want you to say, maybe you're at a place where you're a little empty, where you're longing to encounter God in a new way. Just say, Jesus, 
there's no wine. Would you start praying that in your heart right now? Jesus, there's no wine. Jesus, I have no wine. Just start calling out to him in your heart. Jesus, we have no wine. We need you today. Just like at that wedding, we need you, God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this room.